Good morning. Well, there's preaching, and then there's preaching during a pandemic, and then there's preaching during a pandemic on a long weekend, holiday weekend. <laughs> Very new things for me. Um, I have no doubt that every person in here or watching online has faced a trial of some sort of of some magnitude in the past nine weeks since our uh, shelter and home started. And trials are not prejudicial towards any particular category, young or old, rich or poor, male or female. Trials come to all of us. Whether you are a student in school and you've had your classes canceled or or a high school senior and you have uh, been sort of deprived of a normal graduation or you are a college student and your living situation and circumstances have changed or you are an employee who has been furloughed or laid off or you are a small business owner who has had to lay off employees or perhaps close your business or you are a stay-at-home mom who has now entered into Groundhog Day, except you are not in control of your day, like Bill Murray, or, or you are facing health complications uh, at this time, or perhaps you are facing broken relationships in your home and, and prolonged time together has only served to exacerbate the brokenness of these relationships. All of us have faced or are now facing some trial. And the question we are asking this morning is, what role do trials have in our lives? Because if you're anything like me, all you can think of as it relates to our current situation is, when will it be over? When will it be over so I can go back to normal? When will it be over so I can go back to comfortable? And we see trials as, as the enemy. We, we, we can see trials and we just want to escape them and avoid them. And James, the brother of Jesus, has some words for all of us through the Holy Spirit of God. And so why don't we ask that he would come and teach us this morning. Father, these... Uh, the words in this passage are, are so, feel so mixed. They're, they're comforting, uh, they're refining, they're challenging, and we need your help. We need your help to minister to us, to speak to us, to unstop our ears, that we would not be distracted, but that we would hear from these words of Scripture, from the authority of your Word, and that it would be planted deep in our hearts, helping us to grow as your people, as we grow in that likeness of Christ. Help us do that this morning here, for we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> James starts his letter off. Oh, there's people up in the balcony. <clears throat> I just noticed that. It's terrible. Uh, James starts his letter off with this sort of really brief, extremely brief introduction. 
but it's, it, it's a, this really powerful statement about his relationship to Christ. James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that little statement says so much about James's attitude towards life and his hope. And as much as I would love to sit and dwell on just those, that one little section, I think we need to move on. He then launches into these words of comfort for the believers. Because often when we face trials, we need that word of comfort. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The New Testament writers are often making such efforts to show how we are to deal with and consider trials in our lives. Pain, suffering, persecution, because they knew full well that those are reality. It's not rainbow-colored glasses. It's not just all bright and sunny days. That these are part of life. These are, and these trials will serve to attempt to drive wedges between us and our holy God. And secondarily, they'll serve to drive wedges between us and other people. But before we go on to how we are to regard these trials, it is important that we understand our goal. What is our goal in life as people who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ? as people who have placed their trust in, in the work of Jesus on the cross. James makes it clear in these verses what the goal in all of this is, what the goal in the Christian life is. The goal is spiritual maturity. That you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Paul in Colossians uh, tells the church in Colossae, we warn and teach everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Listen, our faith is not about taking a class and then putting our diploma on the wall. Our faith is not about having a get-out-of-jail-free card in our back pocket that we whip out when it's, uh, our, our time on earth has come to an end. Our faith is not about staying where you are. Our faith is about growth. It's about maturity. It's about discipleship. It's taking what we have received, that free offer of grace that Christ offers us, our justification, which places a right standing before God on us, and then moving forward in sanctification. The pathway to maturity, church, is through testing. I wish I could tell you it was something else. I wish I could tell you that it was just through reading these words of James or you just listening to me read these words of James, but it is through testing. Testing which develops 
perseverance. And the terrain uh, through which that pathway must go are the trials of many kinds of which we consider them pure joy. But it's one of the hardest things for Christians to believe that God is working in and through a person's pain for a good and a holy end. When people are hurting, it is hard to be strong in faith and devotion. A friend of mine tells the story of his first great crisis of faith. He had a friend who was uh, instrumental in his conversion, uh, a girl that went to school with him. And another friend walked up to him and said, you know, it's easy for her to be a Christian. She lives in a nice house. She goes to nice schools. Nothing has ever gone wrong in her life. Just watch what happens when things go wrong in her life. A few years went by and some things did go wrong. And she ended up renouncing her faith. And my friend was traumatized because she was such a strong influence in his conversion. Then my friend went to the Word and he read, These trials have come so that your faith may be proved genuine. It's in those testing moments, those trial periods, that our faith is proven one way or the other. I don't say that as a way to, to take away your, your assurance. I say that because it's something we all need to consider. When everything is stripped from us, what will remain? There are people who become Christians for only the things they can get out of it in terms of material things, which is why when we present the gospel in a way that sounds like, come to Jesus and you will be healthy, come to Jesus and you will never have problems, come to Jesus and you will get a great job, that is not helpful. People need the whole truth that faith in Christ does not make this world a less broken place. It gives you a hope and a future in a place that is not broken by sin. It gives you a perspective and a worldview that helps you to understand this world and the pain and the trials that come to you, and it gives you a Savior who understands all of that. That's why James is saying, I know that these are realities. I know that pain and suffering are real. But consider it pure joy. Looking to the end that it will bring about. That the purpose of the test is not to make you fail. That the purpose of the test is not to make you fail. The purpose of the test is to refine you. It's like the refiner's gold that Peter writes about in 1 Peter. That the dross, that the things that perish, the unhelpful, the unnecessary, that those things would be removed. And the pure gold, the thing of value is what remains. Consider your own experiences. What happens when adversity comes? As much as we would all like to sit here and say, we have handled trials perfectly, 
we had unwavering faith and all is well, that's probably not true. There are many wounds here in this place, wounds from people who are very dear and close to us, wounds from situations and circumstances. But anyone here who has been a believer for a longer period of time will tell you that they know that the experience of having your faith tested develops perseverance. Think, for example, of a a young dating couple caught up in the excitement of the, the attraction to one another, and they, and they start thinking perhaps blindly that this is my life part. This is going to be my life partner. At this point, it's nothing more than an opinion. And soon, those beliefs will be tested. The attraction of other potential mates, uh, a realization that they don't hold everything in common, uh, different likes and dislikes which require compromise, the potential of unfavorable interactions with the other person's parents. It is as testings are endured that the relationship itself becomes more durable, leading into marriage. And the same process goes on in a marriage. It is a relationship that has faced trial after trial and remained together and has developed and matured. What began as a tentative belief ends as a fixed and unchangeable constancy of life. How many of you have gone through trials in your marriage and and with your families and have come out stronger on the other end? The perseverance that James speaks of can be illustrated in life like this, but James isn't writing about a dating relationship. Perseverance is not the goal, as if this is the one attribute that we strive for and then everything is fine. But perseverance is a means to a greater end. And so James says, to the end that you may be mature and complete He's talking about spiritual maturity discovered through patience and perseverance. We know that completeness and, and, and maturity has its ultimate fulfillment in the end of days. But it is still a goal as we grow in our faith in the here and now. Looking forward to not lacking anything. But then he says... But if you are lacking wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. It's saying, look forward then to the day when you will be complete, lacking in nothing. But for now, there is something we know we lack. We get so tangled up in in messes that there doesn't seem to be a clear way out It looks like a purposeless mess. How could this ever be a stepping stone towards maturity? And in a word, we need wisdom. The wisdom that sees all life as serving the purposes of the Lord. Or maybe you face a different situation. You accept the circumstances are designed by the Lord. Uh, They are there to exert those pressures and impose those tests, which in due time will will bear that fruit uh, increasing in maturity. 
But you find that uh, seeing life like that does not necessarily make it easy or plain uh, which way to turn. You're presented with a lot of different options in in life. You're You're prepared to persevere, but you don't know which choice is the right choice. Again, you need wisdom. Wisdom being the application of knowledge. I knew a man who knew the Scriptures so well, he was a walking reference book for Bible verses. Put, he put me to shame. I just, I, I, I you know, I, I couldn't name anything. He was just, he knew everything, chapter and verse, everything. He'd obviously grown up memorizing Scripture, but there is a difference between Bible knowledge and wisdom because his life was a total wreck There was no evidence of any application of the Word of God in his life. If you've ever come across a person like that, it is heartbreaking. Then there's this aspect of God that James gives us that is so helpful. He says, if we lack wisdom, we are to ask for it from the God whose nature is to give. He is literally the giving God. This is part of the character of our God that we need to know and understand because facing trials without a God who is a giving God would be disastrous. There will never be a time when you come to God and find that He was no longer gracious that he was no longer forgiving, that he was no longer willing to pour out his blessings on his servants. And so you're beginning to see there's this contrast between those who go to God, who are growing through the trials that they're facing and asking for wisdom, asking for God's help when they face pain and suffering and trials of many kinds, growing in patience and perseverance. And those who are impatient. Impatience is a childish tool that leaves us incomplete and immature in our faith. And so James goes on to say, the impatient Christian, the untested Christian is fundamentally an unstable Christian. If any of you lacks wisdom, He should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. This is all linked together, the, the testing, the perseverance, the asking for wisdom, part of the test, part of the pain. How do I deal with it? What do I do? I I don't have wisdom to persevere in the middle of this trial, in the middle of this pain. And James says, if you lack wisdom, ask for it, but ask it in faith. That is, ask patiently, trusting in God. That's what perseverance means here. Trusting God in the midst of pain. If we don't have that trust, if we don't have that patience, we're like a a cork 
sitting on the ocean, getting tossed all over the place, bobbing up and down with no direction, no trajectory, unstable, double-minded. It's like a person here with not just two minds, but two hearts. On the one hand, he trusts God. On the other hand, he doesn't. On the one hand, he resolves to be patient. On the other hand, he's jumping to his own conclusions. He's unstable. He's foolish. He's weak. He's childish in the faith. And so the benefits of pain, the benefits of the test, the benefits of the trial are great if your goal is to be complete in Christ, if your goal is to be spiritually mature. Otherwise, you will just be pushed around by the waves with nothing to guide you. These things are a means of grace a means by which God is bringing forth fruitfulness in your soul. And we are his handiwork. We are his craftsmanship. And the pain by which he molds us and shapes us is only for a moment that we may be renewed in the image of Christ himself. Consider it pure joy. If we line ourselves up with Scripture, a whole revolution in thinking is called for here. And this revolution touches not only in our appraisal of life's experiences, but our spiritual expectations also. Often we're encouraged to think about holiness and, and, and sanctification and and completeness and, and victory over sin or, or whatever the ultimate glory of Christ-likeness looks like as if it's just this small interaction that takes place in our hearts, a, a total commitment, a self-abandonment. And sometimes we hear that these can be ours instantaneously. How far that is from the teaching of James here. Rather, James's road is both uphill and thorny. The benefits that he promises here are, are very hard won. And the progress is painfully made. Only to repeat the process over and over. And so we ask ourselves, is this what James is teaching? If it is, then scripture has spoken to us. And our duty and privilege as believers is to reform our thinking in the light of God's word. But even more deeply and with greater privilege, is this not the way that our Savior went forward in his glory? And if it is the way of the master, shall we not also follow as his servants, his bond servants? the very word that James uses to describe his relationship to Christ? Do we know anything that our hearts want more than to be like the Son of God in all things? Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, for this develops the mature Christian and the mature Christian perseveres. 
knowing this pleases the Lord. And this light affliction is only for a moment, and it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Let's pray. Father, my fear is that this sounds like works righteousness. But we know that these things are only able in us through you because we have Christ. And so we take those words of Christ, that we take up our cross daily as his followers and walk that out. I'm also aware that these can sound like things we do in isolation, and yet you've called us into a body that lifts up and supports one another, that reminds one another of teachings like this from James, that we are growing in spiritual maturity, as uphill and thorny as that road is. But with Christ as our Savior and we as brothers and sisters together, we go up that road together, trusting in you, with our hope in you, with our eyes set on you, that as we sang earlier, we know that you are working all things for the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purposes. And so, Father, my prayer is that if anyone is sitting here who has not put their trust in you yet, that they would come and talk to me, that they would come and talk to a pastor, because the first thing's first. You need to put off the old self and come to Christ, knowing that he offers that free offer of grace and forgiveness and salvation. But then, oh, Father, the joy that comes from being a Christian and growing in spiritual maturity, and growing in Christ's likeness, that we would persevere, that we would bear patience, that our witness would go out to the outside world and to one another, for you are working all things for your good. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.